0: How many you have your Bibles with you today? Digital, physical, paper, or maybe you've got it memorized. But whatever the format, today we are going to jump into the Ten Commandments. Yes. Some of you are like, yes. And others are like, oh no. Here we go. Um, we've, we've covered so much in the book of Exodus. We've talked about how God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt, how he used Moses to lead them out of that that, uh, oppression into freedom, but crossing the Sea of Reeds or the Red Sea, and then they made it all the way to that original mountain where God showed up to Moses in the burning bush. So Mount Horeb is also known as Mount Sinai, and God has brought them there. He hasn't taken them straight to the uh, land of promise, to the promised land. He's brought them to the Mount uh, Sinai because he wants to reveal himself much in the same way that he did to Moses. He wants to do that for the people. And what he wants to do is give them clarity for the journey beyond Moses' lifetime. He wants to help them understand what life looks like when we're following God. And so uh, God calls Moses up to the mountain, and he's, you probably have read this before. You've heard stories about it. You've watched movies about it. He goes up to the mountain to receive the moral code or the laws of God, and uh, and and they're inscribed on tablets of stone, and then he brings them down to teach the people through this. There's not only ten commandments; there's hundreds of different commandments, but these ten summarize the life of someone who is following, pursuing God, and we're going to look at each of those. So, if you got your Bibles, open them up, Exodus 20, Exodus 20, and we're going to jump right in. Everyone, say Rule One. One true God, one true God. That's the first rule. It says in Exodus 20, verse one through three, then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt and placed in, uh, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. There's only one true God. And uh, this is, he. remember, he's establishing some new ground rules for his people. This is much like saying, hey, this covenant means that we're married. We're exclusive. I belong to you. You belong to me. Okay. We don't get to. It's not just a Sunday thing. It's like a twenty-four-seven thing. This is a relationship where we are together. We're committed to each other. That's the covenant that he's establishing. He's like, it's one God. Okay. And then he goes into rule two. Everyone say rule two. No idols. Exodus twenty four through six. You must not make for yourself. An idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea, you must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of your parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. I'm so glad that you did a little shout out when I said, how many love Jesus? Because that final part is for us. We can see God's favor and blessing on a thousand generations as we choose to pursue God. You gotta remember that Israel's coming out of the context of being, uh, living in Egypt and the Egyptians and the Canaanites in the area where they're gonna go and live. They had this approach to faith where they felt like like each god was limited and flawed and not enough. So they had to kind of collect gods just in case. In case this one didn't have the right powers for weather. Or this one didn't have the right powers for harvest. Or this one didn't have the right powers for whatever. So they kept on collecting gods. And in doing so, what they're saying is, the faith that I have in these other deities is, they're, they're limited. They're, they're They're unable. They're not they're not capable of addressing all my needs. God is saying, "I am enough. I am all powerful. I am sufficient for you." And I don't and it's kind of like the marriage thing that we talked about. You don't need to put your faith in anything else because God, we are we are complete in God. We are completely satisfied in him. So we are invited to discover God, not to shape and mold him into what we think he should be. We discover God through his revelation. We don't get to customize our God. And what happened back in the day is they would shape and mold God into whoever they thought, you know, whatever they thought he was. As soon as they assigned kind of a, you know, they, later on, we're going to see in the story, they build a golden calf and say, this is the Lord that led you out of slavery. As soon as they, they, they limit him to an object, they've already limited their understanding of who he is. How many know that we can always continue to discover great new things about God? Amen? So God is saying, let's not have any other idols. Rule three. Everyone say rule three. Rule three. Got a lot to cover today. So thank you guys for being wide awake and uh, following along in this journey. Respect holiness. Respect holiness. Exodus 20, verse seven. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. And some of you are like, oops, that might, uh, ah, ooh, how does this play out, right? Now, i got to remember, he's teaching the people about the concept of, of holiness. Hol- to be holy means to be set apart from what is common, what is, what is uh, ordinary. It's set apart from that, and then it's set apart for the purpose of God, and uh, what would happen is, you know, they would try, you know, in, in faith in the ancient world, they would try to invoke the names of different gods. They'd do it if they were trying to, uh, you know, establish an oath. And uh, sometimes they would do it if they got in a fight or if, uh, or if someone uh, slammed on the brakes too hard in front of them. And, uh, and they would invoke the name of the Lord in, a, in, an, in an inappropriate way, right? So blasphemy could be speaking ill of God. It could be perjury if you're invoking him the wrong way. In, a, in an oath, or it could be disparaging, where you're making God's name common and ordinary and to the point where you stop valuing who he is. Now, the, uh, the, the, the people of Israel over the centuries, they took this to the whole another level. There were groups of people that would, before they were transcribing and, and writing and copying scripture, they would have to bathe themselves uh, a series of times before they would write Yahweh, you know, and then there was no vowels and there. there were the only consonant. They did not want to write. So, I mean, they took it to an extreme, uh, but we're not looking only at, at how you say or how you write it. We're talking about the attitude of the heart towards his holiness. So respect holiness. Amen. How many are ready for rule four? Everyone say rule four. Rule four. Sabbath. Sabbath. This is one of my favorite ones. And uh, the Sabbath is a reminder of the fact that God rested on the seventh day after creation. It's probably the first uh, rule or example or model that he left us. And it says in Exodus 20, verse 8 through 11, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons, your daughters, your male, your female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Got to remember the, uh, the example of teaching through manna. Remember how on the sixth day, they would collect twice as much. So that they didn't have to go out and collect more on the seventh day. And it's a lesson of trust. Because we do the math and we think, if I can actually work an extra day, I can get extra wages. But then we're depositing our trust in our own efforts. And we're forgetting that God is our source. And, uh, and if we are able to set apart time, that God has designed us with a need for pause and a need for rest. And uh, and if we can if we if we can lean into that, and I'm and I'm not gonna dictate which day that needs to be. For some it might be a Saturday, for some it might be a Sunday, for some it might be, you know, even on you know in in, in Hebrew uh, counting of, of days, the day starts in the evening and it goes through the next evening. And so there's different different ways to slice the pie. The principle is the same, and, and Moses will say it in Exodus 16, 29: the Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. The Sabbath is the gift of rest to us so that we can be reminded of the big picture of the fact that we depend on him that he is faithful he will care for us and that we can trust him Jesus said that the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people not the people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath that's in Mark two twenty-seven. if you're taking notes rule number five everyone say rule number five, rule five. honor your folks honor your folks Honor your folks. my parents were here in the first service and I Shouted them out. And uh, my mother-in-law was here as well. And I, we get to honor the people that God has placed in our lives. Some of them, you might feel like, well, they haven't deserved it. They haven't earned it. They, you know, some might have absent parents. Some might have parents that have, are full of faults, that are full of, of bad choices. But whatever whatever that may look like in our own life, we all still have the responsibility to practice the principle of honor, to recognize the dignity of the people that God has placed in our life. And, uh, you know, you see in Exodus 20, 12, it says, honor your father and your mother, then you will live long, full life in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. A same principle, same, like an echo of the same text is quoted by Paul the apostle later on, so it carries through. It doesn't expire after the Old Testament is closed. This is a part of a principle that we live today Ephesians 6, 1-4, through 4, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with the promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Each of us has a responsibility if you are a a, a child you're a son you're a daughter you have a responsibility to honor your parents if we are parents we have a responsibility in how we parent others so honor your folks rule number six everyone say rule number six some of you are getting excited you're like okay i can see the finish line coming up this is real simple don't murder it's a good it's a good rule right to live by don't murder exodus 2013 you must not murder Enough said, right? To the point. Uh, This is not manslaughter. This is the intent of destroying, of killing, of taking someone's life. God is the originator, the creator, the sustainer of life. And he teaches us, as his people, to also value the sanctity, the value of life. Rule number seven. Everyone say rule number seven. Don't commit adultery. Exodus 2014, you must not commit adultery. Pretty clear, right? And uh, some might say, oh, okay, well, I'm single, so that doesn't apply to me, right? Uh, and, and, and some might say, well, Jesus, what do, you, what do you think about? What are your thoughts on this commandment? And Jesus would say, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> Matthew 5, 27 through 30, you ever heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery? But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. Now this is a hyperbole, this is an exaggeration to drive home a truth, or all of us would be blind uh, today in this place, right? It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. What Jesus emphasizes here is that when we hear about rules, about, uh, about God's standards, we hear about his laws, right away our human nature is to try to find the loophole and figure out how this applies to everyone else but not to me, right? That's human nature. We try to figure out, okay, how can I, how can I get as close to breaking the rule without it actually counting against me, Right? And, uh, and, and, and what Jesus is helping us to to grasp here is that there's a spirit of the law. There is the intent behind that. It's like the sanctity of life thing that we said. It's, it's, it's understanding the heart behind the standard that God has established for us. Jesus gives us clarity, and from him we understand why pornography is a sin. Because it objectifies men and women, and then what it does is it, it uses them to satisfy... Uh, misled desires in our own life it's 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 centered around selfishness it's centered around consuming for myself and some might say well i'm not harming anyone it's only in my mind i'm not hurting anyone and i'm not doing it so if i'm not hurting anyone then it doesn't actually count against me but what jesus says is you know that 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 kind of thinking and what happens in our in our minds and in our hearts ends up poisoning our own perspective and it ends up poisoning our relationship with others the sexual sin is it's got a broad spectrum, uh, beginning with thoughts and it's carried out in actions as well. Earlier, uh, my, my kids were sitting here, and as I mentioned, this example that we've used to teach them um, you know, it's pretty helpful uh, when it comes to what does sexuality look like from the standpoint of, of, of God's principles and his values. We usually use a triangle like this, and, uh, and we talk about if this side is commitment in a relationship with you know a man and a woman, and this side is intimacy. As commitment grows, then intimacy grows too. And they reach the pinnacle of the moment of uh, marriage where then that is the right setting for one to live out sexual intimacy. Now, if you've got no commitment in all intimacy and you're like, okay, what was your name again? Then that's, that's a distortion of what God has intended and called good. And you might have all commitment, no intimacy, where you're like, okay, you may now kiss the bride. And you're like, how do you do that? Where, you know, how does that work? And uh, so there is, there is a sense in which uh, there's a progression. We've, you know, this has been helpful. Don't look for it. In, you know, some of you are like, okay, where is that in Scripture? You're like in the map section, you know, the triangles. It's got to be an illustration back here. That's just a helpful uh, illustration of just some of the principles. But from a, from a Scripture standpoint, The morality that God has designed for sexual relationships, as defined by the Bible, is an intimate relationship reserved for marriage between a husband and a wife, one man and one woman. That's the correct uh, context, and it's a beautiful thing when it happens in that context. And God is saying, don't commit adultery. Don't live out what God has designed as something good outside of the right context, outside of the right timing. Amen? Okay, some of you are like, hmm. Okay, I'm gonna, let's move on. Rule number eight, everyone say rule number eight. Rule eight. Don't steal. If it's not yours, don't take it, right? Uh, Exodus 20:15. in case you need to read it from the verse, you must not steal. It's pretty clear. If you've been around uh, Emmanuel for a little while, you might remember how there was a stairwell by Lobby 4, and we actually had, at one point in the 2000s, we had a big, a big uh, plaque with the the ten commandments on it we had it there until someone stole it which is a true story so if you took it give it back i've i've i'm still puzzled about this whole thing like who would steal a plaque with the ten commandments what are you going to do with it like take it to a pawn shop or you know I, it's just or hang it in your house to i don't know it sounds like Sounds like playing with fire to me, right? But hey, don't steal. It's not yours. Don't take it. So God's establishing a like moral conduct for his people. Rule number nine, everyone say rule number nine. We're getting there. Don't lie. Don't lie. Be truthful. Exodus 20, 16, you must not testify falsely against your neighbor. Truthfulness is a consistency between your words and your actions. And uh, if, you, if you tell the truth all the time, you don't need to try to remember what you said last time when you lied, right? It's easier. It's, it's so much better for, for your mental health to just be truthful, right? And uh, Jesus came and he lived out, he, he gave us the example of how to, how to accomplish this. He came full of truth and grace, grace and truth, as it says in John 1.14. Final rule, and I'm not done, so don't get up after this. Uh, Rule 10, everyone say rule rule 10. Here we go. Don't envy, don't envy. Exodus 20, 17, you must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servants, ox or donkey or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. My wife and I were talking about how the first home that we owned in Columbia Heights uh, we had a, a deck in the back, and we enjoyed it. We really liked it. My neighbor didn't have a deck in the back, but he had that board that you could build a deck on to it, right? And then one day, my neighbor started putting in, uh, you know, the, the foundation for a new deck, and I was like, this guy's not building a deck. He's building a pier, right? And he went, like, way bigger. And then all of a sudden, we were less impressed with our own deck, and we were like, maybe we need to be, get a bigger thing. And so, I mean, this applies to the Joneses, but it applies to every aspect in life, it's so easy to fall into the trap of comparison. And what happens is we start comparing ourselves with the uh, filtered image of influencers or we can compare ourselves with the highlight reel of someone else as they post their uh, best moments on, in, in, on, online or on any platform. And then what happens is we begin to desire what we don't have and we diminish what we do have. And we lose sight of, of gratitude for the things that God has blessed us with. And so as we are God's people, as we're pursuing him, we need to live as a grateful people, not as an envious people. How many say amen to that? Amen. Avoid the trap of comparison. That was a great time to clap. Let's uh, help the <laughs> two or three of them. Yes, that's good. So there you go. Ten commandments, well done, you aced it. And uh, as you know we look at these commandments, there's some of these that are vertical that have to do with our relationship with God. And, uh, you, you know, as you look at the whole list of the 10 there, you've got them all spelled out. and then you've got the vertical ones: one true God, no idols, respect the holiness of His name, and then Sabbath is remembering that He is our source. And then you've got a whole other series of commandments that are more horizontal. In application, they have to do with how we relate to each other with our fellow humans, and uh, how how do we live this out? You know, some would say, "Well, this is Old Testament, so it doesn't really apply to me." No, it's actually consistent with God's character, and it carries through. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But you know, as we as we are talking about the the commandments of God, we understand through God's clarity and definition, there's also uh, there 's also an understanding of of what his standard is of what what he expects from us and uh, and, and we 're aware all of a sudden of where we are doing well where we 're tracking well, and then also where we have a growth area where we 're falling short. love the story of uh, this young man in the gospels that 's trying to walk out and live out you know he 's sincere he 's wanting to to, uh, to, to live according to God's expectations and God's standards. And he comes up to Jesus and it says in Matthew 19, verse 16 through 22, someone came to Jesus with this question, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why do you ask me what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep my commandments, keep the commandments. Which ones, the man asked. And Jesus replied, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, honor your father and your mother, love your neighbor as yourself. Now have you noticed that the uh, the, the, the all the lists that Jesus uh, repeats to him, they're all the horizontal ones, right? And look at how the man responds. He says, I've obeyed all these commandments, all these. you know." And so he's excited about it. And uh, then you're going reply, what else must I do? And Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect or complete, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. You might say, well, where was that on the list of commandments? And you could probably trace it back to having something that competed with God in his heart. He was so attached to wealth, to the security that that brought to him, to his possessions, that he was unable to release them to fully surrender and engage in following Christ. And, uh, and, and he went away, said, I love what one of the gospels says, that Jesus looked at him and he loved him. He didn't look at him and shame him. He didn't look at him and, and, uh, and, and embarrass him or judge him. He loved him. But then another thing that, that we notice in reading this story, Jesus didn't try to renegotiate the terms He didn't say, wait, 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 wait. Okay, okay, let's meet halfway. Um, I can water down this commandment. Can you step up in this one? No, he didn't do that either. Because God's standards are God's standards. And he called him to something really clear. And the young man had the choice to respond, either by surrendering that one thing that was like an anchor holding him back. You know, you think of his life, genuine, devoted, everything stacked in his favor, but he's got this one thing that should make him feel better and more secure, and it's actually making him sad. He's feeling incomplete because it's an anchor that's holding him back. And then he says, and he was unable to follow Jesus because of that. You know, today as we're wrestling with how to live out the commandments of God, what is that one thing that you're unwilling to surrender to God? If there's one thing that's holding your back, what would that be? Is it secret sin? Is it a relationship? Is it kids? Oh, I've got so much stuff going on with my kids. I can't do it. And maybe Jesus says, kids are great. (laughs) Kids are good. I believe that kids are good, but in the right perspective of where you need to, you know, allow that to to lead your life. You know, maybe it's a career. Maybe it's the sense of, of, of having earned comfort. Maybe it's the American dream. Whatever it is, what is the one thing that is like an anchor holding us back from fully, truly surrendering and following Christ. I love how Jesus, you know, he not only uh, leads us to this moment of definition, but he also did a lot of amazing things when it comes to the law of God. The first thing that he did is he clarifies the commandments of God. Matthew 22 verse 30 through 40, one of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question teacher which is the most important, important commandments in the law of Moses and Jesus replied you must love your Lord your God with all your hearts all your soul and all your mind this is the first and greatest commandment a second is equally important love your neighbor as yourself the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments some might say sweet Jesus gave me two commandments instead of 10. That's easier to be able to accomplish. And it's actually, actually it's, it's broader because it's all encompassing. It's all our hearts, all our mind, all our soul, all our strength and loving our fellow human being as ourselves. Remember the parable of the good Samaritan, how they were saying, well, who is my neighbor? We want to decide who we can love. And Jesus says, no, your fellow human being is who you need to love. You need to reflect God's love the way God has loved us. We need to do that for others, including that irritating co-worker, your boss, your manager, your neighbor, whoever that is, the person that's driving slow in the left lane, whoever that is, love them as God has loved you. How many say amen to that as well? Second thing that Jesus has done when it comes to the law of God, which is powerful, is he fulfilled the law of God. Uh, Jesus didn't come to abolish, to replace, to unhitch us from uh, everything that God had revealed in the Old Testament. He came to clarify it, to make it more more uh, accessible. Through Him, He came to fulfill it. Matthew five seventeen. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. Romans eight one through four. So there is no condemnation by giving us his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirements of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our simple nature, but instead follow the spirit. I love what it says here. The law of God, the law that God gave through Moses, it was unable to transform that weak and flawed human nature. I'd compare it to Something that I got here, I got a little thermometer. We're good, okay? You can come greet me after service. No fever. Um, A thermometer is good for gauging where my body temperature is at. The law of God is good uh, when it comes to giving a diagnosis of where we're at morally in our hearts. But the thermometer cannot do anything to address the root of that fever. It can't do anything to heal me. All it can do is point out my condition. In the same way, the law of God is diagnostic because it'll point out our condition, but it doesn't have the power or the strength to address the root of our soul's fever. And that's why Jesus came, so that in him, He would be able to accomplish what we can't do in our own strength. And he was able to live out. He is the perfect example and model of what it looks like to live as a child of God, someone who's part of God's community, his family, someone who follows the right moral and ethical compass, the spiritual compass that God has established for us. So when we see that we're at fault, you know, the first thing we do is we try to redefine the law and change the rules. We try to justify ourselves. We point to our intentions. We try to compare ourselves with someone that's worse off. But what we need to do is be honest and be humble and say, you know what? I can't do it in my own strength. I need to lean into Jesus and allow his righteousness and his sacrifice to be sufficient. I step into his righteousness and that brings me into right standing with God. And I begin to follow him and all of a sudden I begin to be transformed and be shaped into his example, into his way to responding, his way to talking, his way to loving people. And we begin to become the people that God has called us to be. So Jesus comes and he fulfills the law of God. Then the final thing is that Jesus introduces the new covenant with God. Today we celebrated communion, and I love love communion Sundays. It's such a good reminder and such a good reset, and we held up the cup, and Pastor Ali led us in this moment, and we said this is symbolic of the new covenants that God has established with this people. And we talked about how through Jesus... We've entered this new agreement, a new, a, a new covenant, a new pact with God. He fulfills his part, and then we are called to fulfill our part as well. Recently, uh, I've had a, the opportunity to share some of the different music that I listened to uh, way back in the day, and my daughter flattered me with one of the greatest things. She created a playlist with a lot of the different songs that I was showing her, and not only for me to listen. She enjoys she enjoys a lot, but she's got kind of an old soul, too. She's got like a Frank Sinatra playlist. And, uh, and, and a few other things like that, right? But uh, we were doing some spring cleaning and we came across this gem. Sony Sports, waterproof Walkman. Mint condition, DM me if interested, best offer, right? How many of, I'm not gonna ask you, right? Because that would, be, how many have a friend that knows what this is, right? So if you don't, let me, let me show you, let me unpack it literally. It's to listen to this. And some of you are like, what is that? What kind of relic is that? Did you get that at a museum in London? What is that, right? How many of you have a friend, again, have a friend who used to make mixtapes, right? You got a friend, you got a friend, remember that? Because we had to listen on the, I mean, my friend had to listen on the radio to the right, the right moment. And you knew that song was coming up because they announced it and you had to be like quick to hit record. Right. And you had to be quick to hit stop. Right. So you could, you could end that song and then you could be, and then, and then sometimes they would do like the radio uh, trademark moments, you know, where the mid song, they would give their little, their little uh, jingle for the radio. And, but we, we would compile these, these, these took a lot of work, right? And for all you young ones, I want to teach you another thing, life hack. This is how you rewind properly. Rewind. Cause you got to save your batteries, right? And then you didn't know if you rewound it correctly or not. Did you go too far? You had to go the other way, right? No way of telling. So, I mean, just amazing. So, today my daughter is able to access all the same music. That was my favorite back in the day. But she's able to do it in a way that's not as cumbersome as this uh, amazing Equipment piece. And by the way, waterproof is not the same as water resistant. My earphones found that out. You know, little sponge earphones. Yeah. So anyway, when God, through Jesus, establishes a new covenant, he doesn't change the nature of his moral compass. He doesn't change his nature. He doesn't change his expectations. What he does is he changes the platform where that all lives. And in the same way, my daughter is able to access all kinds of different music today. It's the same song, but on a different platform. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Because he moved the law of God from tablets of stone. And he brought that law to be deep within us in our hearts. And this is what it says. God had promised it through Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 33. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I love them as a husband loves a wife, says the Lord. But this new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. 2 Corinthians 3, 3. Clearly you are a letter from Christ showing the results of our ministry among you. This letter is not written with pen and ink, but with the spirit of the living God. It is not carved on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. True life change can't happen. From the outside, true life change has to come with the change of heart. We don't need bigger plaques, bigger stones. What we need is a soul and heart transplant. We need God to change us from the inside out. Hey Amen. Would you stand with me as we prepare to respond to God's word today? a moment we're going to take some time to sing and we're going to take some time to listen to God's voice and lean into what he wants to say to our hearts I want to initially talk to those who are away from God we're going to pray together but for for everyone who's been part of the journey for a long time you might identify with that rich young ruler you got so much stacked in your favor you got so many good things that are happening You've done so many things right. Jesus looks at you and he loves you. And yet there's something that has turned into an anchor in your life. And I want to encourage you to lean into the voice of the Spirit and say, God, help me. Give me the strength. Give me the resolve to let go of the things I need to let go of so I can fully surrender and follow you. And I want to encourage you to to be uh, in, in the mindset and in the heart of trusting God and saying, God, I will find joy in fulfillment, complete joy and complete fulfillment in following you, amen. So could you just for a moment, close your eyes and open your hearts and I do wanna talk to everyone who is far from God today. Maybe drifted away, maybe you've never had a relationship with God but today is a great day for all things to be made new. Today is a great day for a fresh start. Today's a great day to be able to begin a life of hope of purpose, of wholeness, of purity, and it all starts with saying, God, I come humbly and honestly before you, and I need you to do for me what I can't do in my own strength. I need you to bring forgiveness through Jesus Christ, and I want him to be my Lord and Savior. So how many would say today, eyes closed, hearts open, how many would say today, I'm far from God, I wanna turn away from my sin, I wanna turn to Jesus, I wanna ask him to be my Lord and Savior, And I want all things to be made new today. If that's you, can you just raise your hand where you're at? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. All over the room, the balcony. And then could you say this prayer, make it your own and say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me so much that you came to the earth and you died on the cross for my sin so that I could find forgiveness. I turn away from my sin and I turn to you to ask you to be my Lord and Savior. From this day on, it's in your name I pray. Thank you for joining us. We pray that you are encouraged and blessed by today's message. Check out EmanuelCC.org for faith resources, how to get plugged into community, or to join us live on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. We are so excited to see what God is going to do. The best is yet to come.